Welcome to another episode of Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders for coders about all aspects of creating your best life as a developer. I'm Will, the accomplished developer, author, and software architect. And I'm Beach, the journeyman developer sharing my journey in development. Complete Developer Podcast is supported by listeners like you. We are now on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Complete Developer Podcast. Millionaires say, got a big shot deal. Yeah, y'all know sometimes I sing to you when I, I quote lyrics. I do not have the voice to sing Silver Chair. But there's a little 90s alternative rock for you whenever you're listening this evening for us as we're recording. The millionaire mindset is a common phrase in the hustle culture of people who are working hard to better themselves and make their world a better place. But what exactly does that mean? In this episode, we're going to explore the millionaire mindset and look at what it takes to move from the average to above average all the way to eventually becoming a millionaire. But before we get started, Will, what's got you hustling this week? Uh, well, I had a really good interview yesterday, and they did reach out with an offer. And so now I've got a lot of paperwork <laughs> that I'm putting off right now. I'll do it before I go to bed, but I don't like doing paperwork until I'm just cooked on everything else because that will drain me all the rest of the way. So basically a week out of being downsized. I've got another offer set up and I haven't really been looking that hard. Looks like I'm fairly active on LinkedIn because it auto posts the podcast episodes. And then as we've been getting new people at work, I've been going and connecting and, you know, I'm on LinkedIn a lot just because they were hiring a bunch of people before the downsizing. And so when I flipped the switch to say I was looking for something, by the way, that's not a great idea for me anymore, probably because the floodgates opened and it was just a little bit more than what I needed. And by a little bit, I mean like hundreds of emails more. So yeah, um, I do have some contract stuff as well. I think things are going to line up pretty nicely. I really wasn't all that stressed going into this. I was kind of oddly prepared. I actually decided I was like, I'm going to take a couple of days and not really look all that hard. Of course, I flipped that switch beforehand and that I got flooded. But yeah, there's a lot of stuff out there still. A lot of interesting stuff. So it looks like it's going to be a pretty good deal. So I may have a little bit of shift in schedule coming up. I'm not sure uh, yet how those pieces are going to work, but uh, we'll find out. So how about you? We will make adjustments if we need to, to our recording schedule around that, because that's how we do that. We are resilient to those kind of changes. Throw in a little bit of uh, the theme for the year, right? Uh, let's see. Just another day attempting the impossible things like getting uh, TypeScript to work in Gatsby that we worked on this evening before we hopped on the call or while we were on the call before we started recording, I guess, getting .NET to work on a Mac and cleaning my office. Ooh, the third one sounds like the worst. Because <laughs> <laughs> the others have other people helping. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We're in the middle of our, uh, what we call lab days at work where we get to kind of work on our own little side projects and stuff. And one thing that I would love to get is the ability to not have to use the Windows VM for my uh, API development. There are certain things I do need to use it for, but I would really like to get the authentication working so I don't have to do that. And so I've been doing a lot of research into getting that working on the Mac side because we're doing .NET Core. Is it Active Directory? Yeah. 
with Windows authentication. And so I'm like, when we move to the cloud, that'll be different, but like we're not there yet. So yeah, it's a shame you can't just, well, I was almost thinking if you could stand up a microservice somewhere that lets you do it. I was literally looking into doing that. I mean, that's just one of one of the many things I have researched the past couple of days on trying to get this to work. But uh, it is it is looking less and less possible. Doesn't mean it's impossible completely, but you know, I took some took a break and was like, you know what? When you gave me the surround sound, I cleaned off my desk to set it up and I really liked having that kind of clean space. I was like, you know what? What would it be like if my entire office were cleaned? I mean, it's cleaned, but like organized and stuff put away and not just have like random stacks of Raspberry Pis. But yeah, that said, yeah, I'm working on cleaning the office too in between things. So that's what's going on. Yeah. Saving money is hard, especially when you're trying to do the impossible. Lucas Casares is a fee-only certified financial planner. He owns and runs Level Up Financial Planning virtually out of Fort Collins, Colorado. And just like us here at Complete Developer Podcast, he focuses on helping you not only establish a real plan, but to take action on that plan and live your best life. And to live that best life, you need money. So you need to invest in financial services. And when you do this, it really comes down to whether or not you can actually improve your finances with that investment. And with the help of Level Up, the compounding impact of making better financial decisions will easily pay for itself. Yeah, one of the really nice things is that they have a unique pricing model that will work with you no matter where you are in your career. So if you're just starting out or if you've been doing this for 20 some odd years, Lucas has a plan for you. Lucas is also a fiduciary for his clients, which means he's not here to sell you a product, but to help guide you to a better financial situation. So he's got his incentive structures aligned with your interests. Mm -hmm. So guys, you can catch his podcast, Techie Personal Finance Bootcamp, where he covers financial topics you probably face and interviews other IT professionals who share how they've navigated their careers. And also learn a whole lot more over at levelupfinancialplanning.com. Hustle culture is defined by the idea that there is always more to achieve or attain, which is true, but it's the work hard attitude that when combined with working smart can lead to great success. Hustle culture is a lifestyle of continuing to push and only take the minimal breaks to rest. If you're not careful, this can and will lead to overwork and burnout. I know I've done it, but if done correctly, it will drive you to go further than the people that you are around. While full-on hustle culture is probably not the best fit for everyone and is likely not really healthy for anyone, we can still learn a lot from some of its concepts. And one of those things is the millionaire mindset. A million dollars really isn't a lot of money. Write me a check. Yeah. Inflation jokes aside, it's a matter of perception. And how you see that money. If you think it's a lot, then you'll always struggle to reach it. You'll see it as this almost unobtainable goal. If you remember when you were a kid, $20 was a lot of money. Like you could buy a whole CD for that if you're old enough to remember CDs <laughs> with one good song. Uh huh. And uh, if you're a Will, you could buy 20 CDs for that. Nope, I did not ever sign up for Columbia House. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, I had a network connection and friends with 
open shares of MP3s. Thank you very yeah. much. I mean, realistically, there are some people I know who spend that much on coffee every day. Now, when you see a million dollars as not much, then it becomes mentally obtainable. Yeah, and this is something that's really interesting too, because if you remember when you looked at what the salary range was for a senior developer when you're first starting out, that seems like a crazy amount of money and you get there and you're like, it's not enough. Mm-hmm. You know, because you've done the work to get there. So, you know, bear in mind that the mental barrier really gets in your way here. And once you get past the internship level and probably the first year or so as a junior developer, your salary is definitely not small. Most places, it's easily enough for a single person to live on. And if you're wise, it can support a family. Now, relying on your salary or savings is not going to move you forward enough. And it will potentially be disastrous if you lose that job and you have to eat through your savings during a recession in order to survive. I've also been in that one. And I can tell you that if you take Taco Bell hot sauce and you put it on ramen noodles, it tastes exactly like poverty. Not everyone may want to be a millionaire. I mean, you may be happy and content with the lifestyle that you have and you don't want to put that effort into get to that million dollar mark. That's fine. You may have other seemingly impossible goals that are more important. The millionaire mindset, while it does primarily focus on finances, can be applied to any of those gigantic goals that you may have and feel like are completely out of reach. In this episode, we're going to look at a few of the things that it takes to have the mindset of a millionaire. There's a lot of advice online about how to get this mindset. Some good. Some, not so much, and some of it's flat out execrable. I say a lot of it is not so much. <laughs> yeah, like there's a lot of it that's kind of mid-grade and, and they are actually are not telling you anything. We've tried to filter through this and created a list of a few of the most useful or most effective things you can start doing to create that millionaire mindset. And we're going to try to do a little bit more as far as explaining each of those things as we understand it mostly by learning a lot of these things the hard way. Yep. And we're not, and bear in mind, neither of us are millionaires. We're working on it, but we're in this process. And also, it's not our main goals either. Yeah. No, it's it's not. Also, with this, there were things that when I was going through here that I saw and was like, oh, wow. A lot of it, I, I went through and I'm like, that's good, but it's not well explained. There's a couple of things that I looked at and was like, oh, wow, that is really good. And it's a way of thinking about it that I hadn't even like put two and two together on. It's kind of like you want the mindset for whatever the goal is. And it's not necessarily the millionaire thing, right? Because that's, yeah, that that's one goal. But I mean, you wanted to be a published author and you wanted to write fiction. There's a lot of this stuff in here. It's going to be exactly the same thing. Now, I will also say, I wrote this episode that uh, I made a promise not long ago in a previous episode, one that we actually recorded last week, but uh, because of things going on in the world around us, we decided to move up and release earlier than, uh, than we had planned. But I did make a promise in that episode that I would write this one. And so this is the episode that, uh, that we said was coming. <laughs> we keep our promises is what I'm saying. Right. So let's go ahead and jump on into it. First off, don't think in terms of what to do. 
Instead, be a millionaire. Like a lot of people think of what they're going to do once they become a millionaire, but they don't think about what it takes to be a millionaire or what it is to be a millionaire. Or the personality shifts that you're going to undergo while you go in that direction. You and I had a pretty long talk before the call. And I have several friends that are very, very well off. You know, they built their own businesses and, and all that. And when you're an introvert, you tend to kind of learn how people think because they talk first. And you'll notice that if they are unprompted with something else to talk about, they're talking about how much money the place that they're sitting in is earning. Like they're sitting in a restaurant. They're trying to figure out what the margin is, what they're paying for employees, what they're paying for rent, what they're paying for, you know, uh, cost of goods sold, those kind of things. Like that is their background chatter in their mind. And that is a complete mental shift from the way that most people are thinking, right? Like most people are thinking about their favorite TV show or some form of sports ball or talking about other people. That's why I like hockey. There's no ball. Right. Well, people beat the crap out of each other too. That's my favorite part about hockey. But uh, (laughs) like if you go on a road to do something difficult, it will change you. And the way to get to that change first is to not think about what you're going to do when you get there, but to think about what you got to do to get there. Yeah. For example, all the time that I wanted to be a musician, but wasn't actually like on the path to that, I thought about how awesome it would be to have adoring fans and sign autographs and stuff like that. I wasn't thinking about what it would be like to play music with people until I started really getting serious and I had a goal, had an impossible goal of joining the worship team at my church. And to me at the time, that was impossible. And then I joined it and now I am a musician and what I look forward to is getting to get together with my friends, whether it's on stage or over at a friend's house and like playing music together. And like I spend time, lots of time with my various instruments because I want to be able to play well with my friends because that's what I look forward to. That's the where my mindset is. And that's what we're talking about here is it's not, hey, what am I going to do with the money when I have a million dollars? How am I going to live? It's a different way of thinking. Right. I want to say it's in one of the Indian... Uh, religious texts, the Mahabharata, maybe you're entitled to the work, but you're not entitled to the results. Like this is kind of the thing here. Like you need to be thinking about the work, not the results to some degree. Like you have to go, okay, I want to do the work and see where that gets me. Because if you're thinking about the results, you will not do the work. It was one of the hardest things to learn just everywhere for me. And it was for you too. I remember uh, we both kind of went through that and realizing, okay, I've got to target the work that I want to do and not, not lust after results. And I think the hardest part overall, like learning that was hard in one area, but for me, really the hardest part was realizing, hey, that applies across the board. Yeah. And negotiating with yourself about the fact that it does, because like you're sitting there going, well, this isn't just like that other thing I did. This is way easier. And you fight that over and over again because like your brain won't learn it. It's super duper frustrating until you've done three or four really hard things and you're like, I know exactly what I got to do. I know that it's going to be hard and that I have to lean into the work and do all this stuff. And I still want the easy way. So if you want to have the mindset of a millionaire, you kind of have to see yourself as a millionaire and act accordingly. Now, this looks different than what you think. This doesn't mean spend money like a millionaire. 
You have to become what you want to seem. I both love and hate the term fake it until you make it. Yeah, because it's not fake. Yeah, it's it's not. And I've seen a lot of like, don't fake it until you make it. And I'm like, you're missing the point of what that is. The idea behind that is a better phrase instead of fake it until you make it is be it until you make it or be it until you have it really. Yeah, well, I mean, like you have to do the work ahead of time. Mm hmm. Right. You don't become a thing just because you said I'm the thing, right? Like you're not some chosen one. You work. I understand the objections to the fake it until you make it thing. And I also understand the objections to, to some degree of pretending, Mm -hmm. but that's not what this is. It's like, okay, if I was this thing or what would this person do? Right. If I want to be the best basketball player in the world and not a giant crybaby like like, um, LeBron, Kobe wasn't a crappy, but LeBron definitely. I was, I was like, what are you saying about Kobe over here? No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't diss Kobe. All right, good. But if I want to be the best basketball player in the world and not be a giant crybaby, I'm going to look and say, okay, what would Michael Jordan do in this situation? Right. And how would he be approaching this with what he has? And that lets me deploy resources a little bit more effectively versus going, okay, well, I'm a five foot nine fat guy some extent I have to deal with that, but there's a lot of stuff that that really isn't the limitation and I will make it the limitation if I don't rule it out first. If you wanted to be a basketball player, I think you should be Muggsy because he is 5'9". He's the short guy, 5'9". I mean, realistically, that is not my dream and that is not in range. (laughs) I think that's who I'm thinking of. I don't know. I don't know basketball, so... I could be completely wrong on there. So anyway, honestly, I was really surprised when you threw out three different uh, basketball star names. Well, because of like, well, I mean, Kobe was in the news. Michael Jordan was awesome. And LeBron irritates me. So like he irritates me, even though I, I don't know. I think the last basketball game I actually watched, Michael Jordan was in it. Um, So, but yeah, LeBron irritates me even from where he is. So, well, anyway, coming back to it, uh, this whole idea of being, it may seem backward. However, in order to guide your actions and make the rest of everything else we have to say in this episode make sense, you really have to start with your thought process. You have to start thinking like this before the rest of this is even going to start to make sense or even work. Yeah, and this sounds a little bit weird too because it does still sound like fake it until you make it. Don't think about that. Think about it as an algorithmic shortcut for decisions. It's not, hey, I got to consider all these pieces and there's all this stuff I don't know. Go, hey, what did dude bro do that worked? And I'm going to take that until I figure out why it doesn't work and then tweak it, right? Because he's already done that work. Like you have a cash, use it. So next, I guess really the first thing because that's more of a a mindset, but you need to have a vision. Start off with understanding your why. Whether this is becoming a millionaire or some other massively impossible-seeming goal, why do you want to be a millionaire? Why do you want to play music on stage? Why do you want to learn Russian? Yeah, or write a book. Yeah, why do you want to write a book? What impact is it going to have? Like, how is that going to change your life? Yeah. And, and by the way, is there, you know, once you start looking at that, a lot of times you'll find that, hey, I could just change one or two things and I've got this and I don't have to do this crazy goal. Yeah. That is still valid. 
because you're going to find another crazy goal. Like they show up on their own. You don't have to, there's no shortage. Oh yeah, I know. I have a list. Yeah, same here. And like, you know, like if we were to go through all of our goals that either of us have, like if we both were to go through either of our goals, it's more than several lifetimes. Like it's not all going to happen. Oh yeah. You have to prioritize. That's a whole nother episode. (laughs) The one thing you really do want to ask yourself when you're setting your vision, basically what Will was talking about here, when you start looking at the why, you'll start going, hey, is this worth the work and effort? Is what I am trying to reach worth all the hard work, all the effort, all the sacrifice that it's going to take? Yeah, and I just... As an aside, I did this a few years ago with some of my stuff and I broke it down in X-Mind and like drilled down and made a mind map of it. And, you know, like you'll see some goals and they are just this crazy thing going way out. And you're like, but that doesn't have that much value. And this, this thing over here is just like two steps. And I never really thought about it, actually breaking it down and like putting it spatially where I'm looking at it going, man, that's lopsided. I don't want to do that thing. And that's a, a really interesting trick that I did not, find intentionally. That's actually really useful information. Next time I really look at my goals, which is something you should do regularly, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit, I might take that idea because I've got all these lofty goals that I kind of want to break down like that now. You break them down into sub goals and like major milestones and then projects and then tasks and subtasks. And I mean, you'll see something and, you know, it'll be this awful tangle, be like the British family tree, right? And then over here, it's going to be like two steps. And you're going to be like, these goals are equally valuable. Well, don't do the big one then. It really clarified a lot for me. That's not what I was trying to do with that. I was actually just trying to get everything down in a structure where I could kind of look at it. And I wasn't expecting that to come out of it, but it did. Good little side effects there. Yeah. I feel like side effects are a valuable portion of my life at this point. The other thing you need to do is is actually spend some time thinking about your reasons and then write it down and keep it in a place that you'll see daily or at least frequently. I have a a large pad. It's in the room next door. I did kind of a, like a founder's retreat thing when I was at a conference in Vegas. I was like, okay, when I'm not at the conference, I'm up here in my room and I'm like thinking about my values and like really sketching stuff out and go, why am I thinking like this? And I still have that. And I periodically look at it. It's not every day. I will say that like the way I laid out all my other stuff is based on that. And that I look at every day. But you definitely want to be regularly reviewing. Yeah. Be specific in your reason. Because when you hit difficult times, that why is what's going to keep you going. That's why we talked about knowing the worth and the impact it's going to have. Because setting that up in your reason and understanding that is going to help you because it's going to be difficult. It wouldn't be a big goal if it weren't difficult. You'd already have it. Let's be real. And how valuable would it be? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, if you're putting in the effort to write a vision and plan out to get there, you're going to face some difficulties. Yeah. And by the way, keep track of the emotional reasons for doing it. Like, do not put most of it in terms of, oh, I want money. Right? Money's useless. It's green pictures of dead presidents. It's what you can do with that money. What, What is the emotional impact on your soul? When you get that, like, I do not want other people to be able to reach into my life and screw stuff up. That is like a core value of mine. And there's probably, I would say 75% of my life goals come from that. Yep. I know you talk about it. And there's a 
like a smoldering heated rage underneath that that I tap into when I get stuck. And B just seen it. Oh yeah, I have. It's kind of cool. And he shuts up and he just goes into something else. It's cool and scary at the same time. I mean, let's be honest. So uh yeah. But whatever it is, it has to be a reason that will drive you to get up and work right now. Not at some point in the future. Not, oh, once I've got my system together and everything's organized. No, freaking do it now. You have to be right there. Next, reduce, remove, and reuse your debt. There's there's a lot to that. We want to start off by saying something that may be controversial if you don't understand what we're saying, which is where I think a lot of controversy comes from. It's just misunderstanding. Anyway, debt is not a bad thing, nor is it the enemy of making money, though you will have some financial experts tell you differently. I don't agree with them on everything. They have some really good ideas and some things I'm like, eh. And they made their fortune by telling people how to get out of debt. So, you know, they kind of have a vested interest in not looking at some of the value. For example, like I went into debt to buy my house earlier this year. I think most people did uh, when they bought their houses. I will say I used to listen to one podcast that uh, I liked until they said, hey, we're going to start this subscription service, but we're not going to put like our podcast behind a paywall. And then they put it behind a paywall. And that would have been fine if they had said, hey, we're changing up our model. We're going to put this behind a paywall. I would have paid for it. What got me was they said, we're not ever going to do this. And two months later did exactly what they said they weren't going to do. I'm not going to say who that was, but Will knows. And by the way, that is one of the reasons to own your own house, right? Is somebody who has that relationship to the truth can't reach into your life and screw it up. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Anyway, they promoted no debt whatsoever, not even like to buy a house. So rent and save up. And I'm like, you can't. Yeah, that's... Not a realistic. I think I make pretty good money and I couldn't do that. Yeah, the market is insane right now. And with all the inflation, that was not great advice. No. Now, telling somebody to buy less, you know, like the bare minimum house that they need. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing with debt is sometimes you use it to set up a business venture that is going to produce more than the initial debt and interest. Like sometimes you got to make a deal. My grandfather had a business partner that basically built a business next door to the oil company. And he borrowed some money from my grandfather to help get that set up. My grandfather was his business partner. That was a company for like 40 some odd years. Was it Mm -hmm. bad for him to have that debt? I don't think so. You know, considering that his grandkids are working in that business, I feel like that's probably okay. Let's go throw that out there. The debt was not the problem. It's how you take it and what you intend to do with it. It's about using it wisely. There are some types of debt that you really don't want or you need to get rid of. And so when you're working toward that millionaire mindset, you need to get even other big goals. You really do need to focus on getting rid of your debt. And there there are several options. The first one is the inverse amount priority or the Dave Ramsey option which we've talked about on here. And it's not a bad idea. The The nice thing about this is it gives you that confidence boost. If you're not familiar with it, which I don't know how you listen to us and aren't familiar with that because we do talk about it from time to time. It's the idea of paying off the smallest debt 
like paying the minimum on all your debts, paying off the smallest debt, like putting extra toward that. Once that's paid off, take what you're paying there and rolling it to the next smallest and then snowballing it up. It's not the most mathematically sound, but debts are not just math. They're emotion. And it does deal with that latter part extremely well. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times the math doesn't make a difference if you deal with the emotion well enough. Well, yeah, if you deal with the emotion right, then you're more willing to make the sacrifices to work around the the math. And the math isn't that big of a deal a lot of times compared to, hey, by doing it this way, I'm actually paying extra on these. Whereas the other way, I wouldn't feel like I was making as big of a dent. Now, the other is the more mathematically sound. And that is the highest interest priority. Uh, you will end up paying less over time by putting extra effort into the debt with the highest amount of interest and paying that off first. Though that might be a bigger debt and it might take longer to get that one paid off. Yeah, or you know, you can kind of do a hybrid of these two, right? Yeah. You could say, hey, this one's got a just ridiculous interest rate, so I'm going to kill that one first. And then I'm going to snowball the rest because they don't make enough difference. Like if you got old credit card debt, for instance. Yeah. Or it may be hey, this is a huge debt. Let me knock out some of the smaller ones and snowball that to where I can really make a dent in this when I start putting the effort into it. There's multiple ways of doing that. And then the other option is uh, payment plans. A lot of larger debts can be worked out, especially things like medical and student loans into payment plans over time. Yeah, or just forgiven. I mean, straight up, like sometimes you can actually just call and go, hey, look, is there some amount I can settle for and just get out of this? Yeah, especially with medical debt. Yeah, if you built up, you know, some cash and and or maybe you can you can borrow money from somebody else to, you know, get rid of that debt at a lower rate. There are options. Now, one of the types of debts that we kind of both I think you and I both use this is the revolving debt. And that's where you get like a credit card and you pay it off every month. And you use that to run all your transactions through. Um, I do that. It gets me rewards points. I have security of transactions. So when Microsoft Azure, for instance, keeps billing me month after month for something that I canceled repeatedly, I give them a charge back and they can deal with a credit card company, not me. It's actually a useful device. And then I pay it off every month and the points pile up. And you know, every so often I'll be like, oh, I need to do, I need this snazzy router that's overly complicated which i unfortunately purchased from amazon and i have the points to just get it that's really really nice to have sometimes it's just it's it's like getting a little bit of a cash return and so that helps as long as you pay it off every month if you don't do that it will not help you it will hurt you so you you've got to be really careful about that but it also helps your credit rating and other stuff oh yeah there's there's a lot of benefits to to doing that and putting off the the payment for a month too. I mean, like sometimes you'll be like, oh crap, I got to dump a thousand bucks into this thing. Well, if you mm -hmm. have to come up with a thousand bucks out of your account right now or sign up for credit, like that's a lot of paperwork. Whereas you go, okay, in two months, I have to pay this thousand bucks. That's a lot easier to deal with. You just go, yeah, I'm just not going to go out to eat for a bit. Yeah. I'll tell you guys a little, a little trick that I have is I try to pay my credit card off before it's due. Like when the month ends and they say, they send the statements like, Hey, here's what you owe at the end of next month. I pay it off 
because that gives me a little bit of a buffer because like when I had to get the truck and stuff, I put a bit of it on like credit card and I'm like, all right, I cannot pay that when I normally pay my credit card off. And that gives me that extra month there. It actually made life a lot easier by having that. It's also really nice for smoothing out your cash flow. So like I went to Costco, right? And they screwed up on pricing chicken thighs. Like it was like a, like a buck 38 a pound. Mm -hmm. So do you know how many pounds of chicken thighs I have frozen in my freezer right now? (laughs) It's in the forties, I think. Right. So like you can see opportunities like that and you go, okay, I'm going to put this on the card and yeah, it's going to give me a little bit of a hit, but you know, realistically I'm getting something that I use a lot of more cheaply and I'm storing that. Oh yeah, man. And so like over the long term, it smooths it. And it's also not significantly more work to put up 40 pounds of chicken thighs compared to 10 because you, you've got the same equipment out. Yeah. Now, mind you, this kind of stuff is not going to make you a millionaire. It's going to get you to the point where you can start really working toward that. It avoids the shocks of the system. I think yeah. it's the biggest thing is, is what I've, I've learned. Like it keeps you from being in a panic state when something happens. You've got a minute. So speaking of the panic state, one other thing you need to do is you need to build self-control into your spending. Because if you want to panic, overspending will do it really, really quick. Your budgets can help at the beginning, but the goal is to not need one. Yeah, this is one of those things that surprised me. And I actually read a couple of different articles about this because I'm like, what are they talking about here? And it hit me. I'm like, this is literally what I'm doing with weight loss. I'm trying to get myself to where like right now I track everything that I eat and all my exercise because what I'm trying to do is train myself to eat healthier. Right. And you do the same thing with your budget. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to be tracking my food intake and my exercise the rest of my life. I plan on getting to the point where I don't need to do that. Your habits work and they're in the background. Exactly. And having a budget will help you know your own limits, especially on big purchases and regular expenses. Like it is shocking the first time you get a credit card and you see how much you spent in a month. When you're used to a debit card and those little bitty transactions, when you just get that bill, you're like, what in the world happened? It will jar you awake very, very quickly. And it also helps you to know where you're likely to overspend so you can accommodate for it. Like most recently for me, it's been in clothing because I have lost the weight and I've had to replace a lot of my clothing. So I actually have in my budget money for clothing. I bought jeans this month because I like I needed more jeans, which is not something I buy very often. But, you know, yeah, mine was more of food for me. It wasn't the thing that was getting me was not you know, going somewhere nice and eating something nice. It was like, you're going to Hardee's three times a week. Goob, what are you doing? That sounds like you. (laughs) Yeah. Like, and it was, you know, just like completely thoughtless stuff where it it was like, you smack yourself in the forehead and you're like, where are you doing this? It's like all the little transactions. Like I was getting water at the gym every day and that's like two or $3 a day. Finally, my sister got me this for my mission trip, this 32 ounce water bottle. I just started taking that to the gym with me every day. And like they got a water filling station there. And you know how much money that saved me? Taking my lunch to work when I went into the office every day. I saved hundreds of dollars a week doing that. People get on the millennials about the the avocado toast, right? And they're like, oh, that's a stupid expense. My day. 
like that's not what it is. Like when you're spending money on stupid stuff, it makes you reluctant to spend money on smart stuff. Even if you have the money, it is completely a psychological, not a mathematical phenomenon. And other people criticizing millennials about the avocado toast are saying that. Right. Because they don't know it either. Because look at how they spent their money. But whatever. I don't want to get in that discussion. The long-term goal is to make enough money that you don't need a budget. You'll only spend a portion of your income and then save some. And really, you want to be investing the bulk of it once you get to that place. Yeah. And the short-term goal is to build up a lifestyle or habit of spending less than your income while you accumulate. And even after. But yeah, especially while you accumulate. The accumulation is important. And the way to do that is multiple income streams eventually. And we're going to have a separate episode on this because it's a, there's a lot more to this. Yeah. No. While it may pay well, you're not going to grow financially only doing your day job. That's going to kind of keep you where you are. You're going to get comfortable and you're going to stay there. And if that's what you want, that's fine. If you have other goals, that is fine. But the same thing applies. If you're not like doing that extra, you're not going to move forward toward that impossible goal. Yeah, bear in mind that extra is not necessarily at your day job. It's yeah. probably not at your day job, actually. Mm-hmm. And we will also say, as far as the multiple income streams, be cautious and actually get one side income stream down before you start another. This is a piece of advice that seems to be left on the floor. And it really shouldn't be because if you try to like build five income streams at a time, you will build nothing, right? The dog that chases multiple rabbits at the same time goes to bed hungry. So will you. Yeah. Yeah. You want to at least have a side hustle, even if it's not like a all the time side hustle. And this can be something like consulting or taking on like extra dev work in your free time. Or if you're just like, hey, I don't really want to do development in my free time because some people are like that. You could turn a hobby such as photography into a source of income. I've done that myself and I've seen other people do it. And a lot of people that are developers started with it being a side hustle (laughs) and, you know, got sucked into the vortex. But you want to be building up your passive or side income. And I have an objection to the word passive, but we'll get into that later enough to completely pay your bills. Everything else you work on is surplus for investing in more side income. If you ever played the game Cash Flow, this is the goal. And have you played that by Rich Dad Poor Dad? No, I've probably read all of his books at some point, but I've never played the game. That would be interesting. I'm going to see if I can get myself a copy of it and it's funny, like your dad would really enjoy this game. And he doesn't seem like a board game type, but this particular one, I could really see him getting into. He'd be a freaking shark. Oh, he would. In the minnow pond on that thing. Oh, yeah. He would be so good at this. He'd be so aggressive, though. Be like, ooh. Oh, yeah. It'll, it'd be fun. I'd, I'd want to play with him. But if I if I can't get a, find a copy of it, uh, the next time one of my friends throws a party and has it, I'll get you invited to it. So you got to play this. It is good. I mean, I know the basic premise. So, you know, when you're talking about the side income, you know, this is stuff like real estate, rental properties, writing books. I will tell you, self-publish, please self-publish. Just as an aside, I think I get my first royalties next year for the books that were published in 2019 and 2020. Yeah. 
But you did get an advance on them, right? Yeah, but the, like for it to burn through the advance. So yeah. like self-publish if you actually want this to be an income stream versus an income that is potentially coming in a few years. Yeah. And it'll also teach you marketing anyway, which you need to know. And there's, and Beach has it in there as those, even those middleman websites that sell stuff. Uh, this could be stuff like white label software, white label products. Uh, it could also be stuff like affiliate sites, content-based marketing. It's the ones drop shipping. shipping. That's it. That's the word. I could not think of that word when I was writing this. I was like, Will knows what they are. <laughs> there's lots of different <laughs> options on that. And look into those. There's some of those that are lucrative. I will tell you right now that Kindle Direct Publishing is completely saturated and I wouldn't touch it with a 10-foot pole. Um, and I was looking at it a year ago. That one seems to be a little bit jammed up. But there are other opportunities and there always will be. Now, above your emergency retirement savings, things like that, you need to be investing the excess funds that you have in somewhat of a mix of high, medium, and low-risk investments. I mean, this is, hey, I've already got an emergency fund. I've got some savings. I've got a retirement fund that I'm putting money into. This is the excess, the extra. Complete Developer Podcast does not uh, give financial advice. We are not financial counselors. You need to talk to Lucas. We got a <laughs> dude. Go talk to him. <laughs> this is not something that you you listen to two hillbillies in a basement about. That is very true. That is very true. Though I'm not in a basement anymore. I'm uh Yeah, you're on the first floor. You're you moved to uh, I've moved up in the world. <laughs> yeah, you're practically uh, the Jeffersons. I miss that show. All right. So the next thing that we want to talk about is you need to stay focused on your goals. So your goals, bear in mind, they have to be smart goals, you know, specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, and time bound. And turn focusing on and refining your goals into a regular habit. Like we mentioned earlier, Will was talking about how he did that mind map. And I'm like, yeah, the next time I refine and review my goals, I'm going to do the same thing for that same reason. Well, not the same reason he did it, but for the the effect yeah. he got out of it. But I do. I regularly go through and assess my goals. I was going through last week, the goals that we talked about for the podcast, like not for the podcast, but my personal goals in our episode. And I was looking at some of them like, some of those aren't even goals anymore. Some of them I've already accomplished. And some of them are like, hey, that's not a direction that I'm going with my life because of things that happen throughout the year. And that happens. Yeah. A trick to staying focused on larger goals is to break them down into smaller ones that you can accomplish you know, quickly that lead to a bigger goal. So like I'll have like the big goal and I have like my areas of focus and I've got obsidian and I'm using all that for my tracking. And then I break it down into smaller goals. And then those I break into projects and those projects go over into Todoist and they get scheduled. Yeah. And they show up on my to-do list for the day because you want a sense of urgency here because otherwise you can sit there for 15 years and not get anything done. Mm -hmm. And keep your goals readily available where you can see them multiple times a day so that you will stay focused on them. I like to put these little note cards on my mirror in the bathroom so I can see it or I have little post-it notes around the office with with goals and stuff. Like I don't think Will can see them because they're usually in front of me, not behind me. As they should be. Well, I mean, actually that you want them to be behind you, uh, metaphorically speaking. Yeah, no, I don't have any on my bookshelf there. So yeah, they're they're sitting right in front of me. But yeah, that's that's what I do. Now, you also want to be very intentional about how you do things. 
in addition to having a reason or vision and the goals that get you there, you need to kind of know why you're doing it, right? Like and what your, your focus is so that you are actually taking the correct action to move forward. Uh, if that makes sense. So, you know, it, it has to be intentional and, and structured to get you to the goal. You don't want to walk towards your goal the way a drunk person walks home. Now, the term intentional means done with purpose or deliberate. Make sure that everything you do is deliberate and moving you forward. Yeah, no wasted motion. Yeah, and that doesn't just mean everything you do at work or everything you do in relation to the goal. That means everything you do. Right. I mean, you can be really surprised and unpleasantly surprised in areas that are not even related to your goal or to money itself because they can drastically reduce your effectiveness. Like if you don't manage your interpersonal relationships and you're like, oh, I want to be a millionaire, but hey, your wife hates your guts and your kids don't like you, you're not going to get there. Yeah. You're just not. Building the habit of intentionality will drive you to become solution-focused. Where you're looking for solutions instead of focusing on the problem ahead of you. So when you hit those difficult times, you don't go, hey, this is a problem. Oh my goodness, what am I going to do about it? You go, I've got a solution. Like when I was having some issues, Will helped me out with them, but having some issues with Gatsby earlier, I was like, I think I I messaged him like, all right, I'm either going to have to switch over to JavaScript or just completely drop this and build it in something else. Because I could tell the issue was with the TypeScript and there are a few things that I just didn't know. If there's anybody who works on Gatsby, some of your tutorials are kind of lacking some important information that Will provided for me from learning through his trial and error. So that helped. So just a heads up, guys. If you want to know more, you can email me at neckbeards. Yeah, or get on our Slack channel and just like tag us in it. Yeah. So another thing you need to be able to do is to be willing to take risks. You know, one thing with the millionaire type mindset is you do have the ability to take risks that somebody that has less money can't. If you play it safe all the time, it'll keep you where you are and not move forward. I fairly recently learned this in regards to salary stuff. I got a fairly abrupt shock at how badly I was underpaid in a a few cases, (laughs) Mm -hmm. like five years or so. And, you know, some of that was I did not take risks that I probably should have. Of course, I was also optimizing for other things. Right. Now, that is a big difference in in that case. But, I mean, yeah, you're you're right. It was still substantial enough that I kind of felt stupid. But, um, and you and I had that conversation earlier, too. We did. (laughs) you need to learn how to calculate sort of a risk benefit ratio here. A great way to do this is literally just to take a piece of paper and write risks and benefits and a line down between them and then just write them out. What are all the risks? What are all the benefits of doing this? And then go through it and circle or highlight the risks that are, hey, this you know, might be a little bit too much. Yeah, I like to do it based off of the probability and the cost, either up or down. And then I can go, okay, this one is mostly upside and it's got a slight downside, so I need to mitigate that. It also helps you focus on, you know, how you mitigate the risk because you probably can't mitigate everything, but there's certain stuff you can. 
and it'll help kind of fix your focus on those things numerically speaking. Mm-hmm. You do have to be you know understanding and be okay with the fact that a particular risk may not pan out. You're trying things. That means you're going to fail at stuff. That is still information that you got when something fails. Like don't look at it as a total loss either. Because sometimes the fact that it this thing failed, okay, well, why did it fail? Sometimes you'll you'll find that something failed and you're like, hey, there's an opportunity here because I could make it not fail for other people. You just have to kind of be flexible on that and understand that the nature of risk is to expose things, not necessarily to cause problems. Yeah. And be wise about the risks you take. For example, you don't gamble your mortgage money or your rent money. Or your kid's college money. Yeah. Or your retirement fund. Yeah. Like it might, that might seem like, oh, hey, this is going to pan out and I won't need this retirement fund. Uh, you never know what the market's going to do. Yeah. Of course, I also will say that the retirement fund is a risk as well. Uh, yeah, well, that's true too. You got to kind of play with that a little bit too and chew on that one yourself because we're not financial advisors. So, Another thing that's very important is you cannot whine and you cannot make excuses. No one and nothing will hold you back worse than your own ability to make excuses for why you haven't accomplished what you wanted to do. Beach and I've had this conversation before about people using the word genius to describe somebody. 99% of the time, they're not calling the person a genius. They're making an excuse for why they won't do the work. Oh, he's a financial genius. No, he's not. He has so, an Excel file. I have issue with the overuse of the word genius lately. And it's, I've been reading some stuff where like, oh, everybody's a genius in, in one area. I was reading a book on leadership. And it's like, everybody has their own like area where they're a genius. I'm like, no, there is an actual literal definition for what a genius is. And yeah. it is basically that not everybody is this, that like, like unless there's an infinite number of areas, less than 2% of the population is this Isn't it like three standard deviations or something? I forget what is it two? I think it's two. It also depends on the test, but it might be three for genius and two for borderline genius. Yeah, I think that's it. Whereas just regular borderlines are everywhere. Yeah, we won't even go into that. But yeah, and it's like you're using genius to mean area of interest isn't the right thing to mean specialty. Everybody has something that they're good at is what you're saying. And you're saying everyone's a genius at this. thing. No, no, they're not. And I think a lot of it too is people, everybody has an area in which they will put the focus. Yeah. Right. Like you and I know several people that I would legitimately say are actual geniuses, not like, oh, you know, he, he's so smart, but like he's scary smart. Yes. And he thinks completely differently. On a different level. I know who you're talking about. Yeah. And I know three or four like that. And the thing about them is, it's not just that they think a different way, but they do the work. Otherwise, you wouldn't know who they are. They'd be some dude would say like working at Blockbuster, but they're not right now. That's a really dated way of putting that. That is, uh, I can't believe you you pulled that one. That's uh, a long time ago. I mean, that was the thought process I had, but it's like you wouldn't know who they were if they didn't do the work. Yeah. And I do think everybody has a potential to do way more than anybody would expect to the point that other people call them a genius, but they're not. It's just, they work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A lot can be said for putting in the effort. Complaining about your problems doesn't lead you any closer to a solution. And typically it's going to hold you back from one because your focus is in the wrong place. 
Well, I'm going to add some salt to this. Go for it. I've already hashed it. Wait. <laughs> oh. hashed before you salt. You make an algorithmic joke. All yes, right. Yes, I am. So when you complain about problems, most people around you either don't know how to fix it or they're glad you have them. And that can include the people that are closest to you. Like, get over the need to complain. It doesn't help. Now, asking for advice, yes, that will help. You get good, honest advice. But if you're just whinging about something, most people are just happy to see you suffer, frankly. I, I didn't put this in here because I, I didn't think we'd have time for it, but we're, we've already decided to go over time because this is there's some good stuff here. Good conversation. So I'm going to say it anyway. Ranting. Yeah. And, Will, you've noticed, like, even when I get frustrated about something, I do not rant at the level that I used to. And I'm trying to cut that out completely because I was having a conversation with one of my really good friends, Whitney, about it because we both have a tendency to, like, we're the same personality type. So we have the tendency to rant. And it's like, you know, sometimes I just need someone to listen to me rant. And uh, when I was younger, my sister would do that for me. I would just like, hey, I just need to rant. You don't have to try and help me fix it. I just need to like get it out. And we both were saying, hey, yeah, sometimes you get that point. It's like, I just need to get this out. And then I can focus on solving it. We talked about how that's really not useful. Even though at the time it feels like cathartic and helpful, it's like, no, no, it's not. Because it's wasting time and not focusing on the real thing that we need to focus on, which is the solution. Yeah, it focuses on the emotions that come from the problem, not the problem itself. And a lot of times, honestly, your frustration with something, you'd be surprised like that is a million horsepower engine compared to a donkey. Yeah. Right. Like, Oh, I want to be the, you know, I want to use the methodical mathematicians approach to this thing. It's like, no, I want to be enraged and kill it. And it works better. Like, sorry. I I know that that's not pretty and that's not what people want from life, but like you use the things that, that are there, not the things you wish were there. So you need to also see mistakes and failures as opportunities for learning. It's an indication that you did not see the whole picture. And now you do because the picture smacked you in the face. Ask yourself what you can do better next time and how you can use this situation to improve yourself. So next, emphasize your own education. This means intentionally taking time to build out educational goals for yourself and see them through to gain the knowledge and skills that you need. And I do this. All the time. You also need to get a different perspective by learning about things that don't directly apply to what you're doing now. Like regain your fundamental curiosity just in general. Because if you lose that, there is nothing that will fix you until you get that back. So having a conversation with a friend earlier today about that, which is kind of funny because we were talking about how we both just really like to learn stuff. And I'm like, and she was saying that she feels bad when she doesn't know at least something about a subject because she likes to connect with people. And I was like, yeah. oh, but people love talking about themselves and their interests. So if you have a legitimate curiosity and ask them, like I just in my personal life, I have found I connect better when I don't know anything about something and I am genuinely interested in learning. And you have enough. And a lot of times it's helpful too to have enough information to ask the good questions. Oh, yeah. I have a friend in Albania who has a donkey milking farm. Like he sells donkey milk. It's pharmaceutical. Apparently they give it to like preemies and stuff. And I know nothing about that. 
like I know equine milk has more sugar in it. Yeah. Like nothing. Uh, but we had, oh, good grief, a two hour conversation about it. Cause he was really passionate about it. He just got into it. He was a first donkey milker. <laughs> yeah. I almost I mean, it, it sounds like an insult, but I was gonna say, like, I, I'm gonna if I had a book of of what I feel would be Amish insults, I feel like that would be one of them. <laughs> I'm just thinking of that that Star Wars insult. Uh was it Nerf Herder? Yeah. They, they said, yeah. No, like his the first donkey milking farm, basically, in Albania. And he's super passionate about it. And Literally, we had this super long conversation about something I knew nothing about because I was curious. Yeah, and you had no idea that it existed until that minute. And it was absolutely fascinating. And there's potentially an opportunity there, right? Because you can learn a lot about markets. You can learn a lot you know, about the pharmaceutical stuff. You know, He's probably running into all kinds of really strange problems because he's kind of going down a path that people don't go down. And be willing to go down those paths and ask some questions, right? Like you don't have to work all the time. Sometimes you need to be exploring. It's kind of the old uh, explore versus exploit thing when you're doing a search. This is the explore part. The hard work is the exploit. Hey, I've got something here. I'm going to work on it. But sometimes you need to kind of be doing, beating the bounds of whatever is reasonable, even if it does involve that. Now, one area to learn about that I just think everyone should is leadership. Even if you're never planning on going into management or leading a team, you want to understand this process because you are going to have leaders. And you're going to be a leader. Yeah. Even if you're not officially one, you are going to lead. We've talked about leading by influence and stuff like that. People are going to look to you and it's good to know what you're doing and to know to know what your leaders are doing and to understand them. Uh, and you also need to invest you know, time and money into things like conferences, learning platforms, uh, those kind of things that will help you get the skills that you need. I will say that you get what you pay for, although sometimes you can get a pretty good deal. And, you know, some stuff like it's really valuable skills that you can learn for 40 bucks. Yeah. And you'd be surprised how much of that stuff is out there. There's a lot of good stuff for free, but understand you're getting the free. So you're not going to get as in-depth as you would if you paid for something. Yeah, what I like to do is actually dig into the free to get the information I need to ask the questions of myself when I'm looking at the paid. Yeah, that's what I what I was getting to was use that because a great way to use it is just, hey, is this something worth diving into and paying for? Yeah, and then you get the paid content and then you try to find some work using that paid content. And guess what? You're getting paid for the real training now. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Speaking of work, the final thing we're going to talk about is love what you do. When you really, I mean really, do love what you do, then it doesn't feel like work. I mean, that's kind of cliche. You hear that a lot. Even the difficult and mundane can become enjoyable when you love doing it. Yeah. Now, notice that we did not say do what you love. Your interpretive Mongolian basket weaving may be really cool for you, but people probably don't need those baskets. We're telling you to love what you do. It's the other way around. So instead of this being a romantic relationship with the subject of your study, it is an arranged marriage and you have to fall in love with it. Yeah. And you you might get to the point where you can do what you love. Right. At some point. You may not. Like, for example, I love playing music. I really do. I will never in, in this lifetime 
make money doing that. I don't ever see that happening. I don't have that that level of talent or really that desire. You got other stuff to do. Yeah, I've, I've got other stuff, other stuff that I love that I can do that will be much more beneficial to me to focus on from a money-making standpoint. Now, while I'm making my money, can I continue to play music and use that as a respite and escape and a way to relax and grow myself in other areas? Yeah. And learning music has definitely changed the way that my mind works to benefit a lot of things. Yeah. I mean, even if you're in a place where you don't enjoy doing a job or you don't you know, love it for whatever reason, you know, think of it as a stepping stone or a source to get you to the next place or just a place where you're going to learn the things that get you able to move forward or go look for something to like in there. I mean, you'd be surprised how much you can convince yourself. Yeah, I do like this part of my job. Well, focus on that. You're probably going to be, that's going to be the place you're best at. Absolutely. So guys, these are just a few of the attitudes that it takes to think like a millionaire or think like the person you want to be to accomplish whatever impossible seeming goal you have. It's a change in your mindset that you do in order to progress. It is possible to become a millionaire without doing any of these. There really isn't one and only path. Even if you don't want to be a millionaire, these are very useful for going after any large goal that may seem impossible. They're helpful hints or personal hacks that will make the path a little bit easier on you as you travel the journey from where you are toward that goal. Use them to help you achieve the impossible. On that, we will see you guys next week. If you have a question or comment, please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Standby for Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed through Creative Commons. For references, show notes, and extra tips and insights, be sure to check out the website at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Help us make the show possible by supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast. You'll get extras, including a weekly aftercast where we discuss the topic of the week and bonus material with some of our patrons. You can also follow us on Twitter at CompleteDevPod, like our page on Facebook, and follow us on Instagram to keep up with news about the show. Join the conversation anytime via Slack by signing up at slack.completedevelopernetwork.com. Thanks for listening. See you next time.